Welcome to the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast, Episode 6. I'm Joel Payne from Resound Worship, and this is a podcast to equip, train and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. And this week is an interview special, where we'll also be catching up on the 12-song challenge. So greetings, everybody. Today you find me all on my lonesome, but do not fear. This won't be one long Joel monologue because the bulk of the show is an interview with Ruth King Goddard, who's a worship pastor and music development specialist in Seattle over the other side of the Atlantic. But first, we just need to begin by catching up on the 12 song challenge. Remarkably, we now have over 80 people signed up for the challenge. And if I'm honest, I thought maybe we'd get, I don't know, a dozen of you who might uh, join in and stop Sam and me from feeling too lonely in the world. But actually over 80 people from 10 countries in four different continents, which is pretty remarkable. Let's have a look. We've got um, people from the UK, the USA, Canada, South Africa, France, Norway, Zimbabwe, Portugal, the Netherlands and Sweden. But you don't get any prizes for guessing who the person in Sweden is. And of course, we were unprepared for such an avalanche of participation, expecting the odd email to come through. And of course, that's quickly become apparent that we're talking about around a thousand songs being written in 2016. We can't handle them all on our own. So we've set up a dedicated web forum and participants are registering and beginning to share their songs. 20 days into January, we've got songs beginning to emerge. It'd be good to have a quick reminder of what the 12 Song Challenge is and specifically what we've taken on for January. 12 Song Challenge. So, the 12 Song Challenge is a year long exercise in creativity for worship songwriters. Each month, we're setting ourselves the challenge of writing one song, either on a particular theme or using a specific approach or technique. And our expectation is that many of the challenge songs will probably end up on the shelf when they're finished. They're just for us. The ultimate goal is not to write these songs, but actually to write other songs. It's to stimulate creativity and activity in writing more songs for our churches that we serve. We hope we'll learn and grow each month, be better equipped then to write the songs that God is calling us to write. And January's challenge is all around scripture songs. So we've set five different passages from scripture, a mixture of songs, teaching, letters and prophecy. And we've asked people to try and turn them into a worship song. And that distinction is quite important. Even though worship song is a pretty broad category, it's not about writing a memory verse. The aim is to try and stick closely to what's in the passage without bringing in ideas from elsewhere. And that means either from your own head or from other songs or even elsewhere in scripture and create something that as a whole feeds and inspires and motivates engagement with God. So the five passages we've chosen are Romans 11, 33 to 36, John 14, 5 to 21, Jeremiah 6, 16, Revelation 15, 3 to 4, Hebrews 12, 18 to 29. I've been working on Romans 11, Sam's been working on John 14, and Matt is, I think, working away on Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. And it's been an interesting time. Certainly I found it challenging trying to work with what you've got and turn it into something. And songs are beginning to emerge on our forum. People are sharing their efforts. They're feeding back to one another. And one of the first interesting points is that I think almost half of them are based on the Romans passage. Now that's a doxology and I suppose it's quite self-contained, isn't it? So it's very appealing 
as something to write a song on. So either that is a representative sample of all 80 plus and we're going to have 40 songs on Romans or maybe the other passages are just a bit more difficult and it's taking people longer to produce something. So if you haven't yet joined in, uh, there's still time and maybe you might want to take on one of the others. Hebrews and John particularly, both of which are teaching passages, are feeling, I suppose, rather unloved at the moment. So maybe you'll have a look at those. Let's find out what people have been up to. As I said, we're already having some stuff coming back. Um, Trish Stafford is one of the people who's joined us with a few songs and um, she fed back to us just a bit of her, her experience. She says, one of the things I'm learning is how to read and reread a passage to try to hear the nuances of what has been written and the message there. I know that knowledge of a culture can change our understanding. What was meant by a certain word then may not be meant now. Jargon, example, righteousness. Um Thank you, Trish. That's brilliant. Because it reminds us that actually as songwriters, we must read and reread and we must constantly ask ourselves if we understand what we're reading. It can be tempting just to shove stuff straight in a song. It's jargon. It's Christian language. It's something we've always heard. Do we really understand it? Because if we don't, can we expect the congregation who are singing it to understand it? It's such an important job for us as songwriters to do that on their behalf in advance and it doesn't necessarily mean we'll change everything uh, that's written there but it might just be about how we package it to make it clear or how we add the odd word here or there just to help us to really grasp it but occasionally we might take a word like righteousness and we might expand it or we might replace it with something which which means something to us that would be similar to how people back then would have understood it I thought I'd also play you uh, a clip from one of the songs. We had this one from um, Jenny Lurie. She uh, worked on the Revelation passage. And firstly, I just really like it. I think it's a great job, a great example of taking on the challenge. And particularly when you set scripture to music, you can easily end up meandering your way through long sentences and lose a sense of cohesion and shape. And it does take some skill and discipline to keep it tight and punchy. And that's something that Jenny has managed. So let's have a listen. something catchy that we can sing great and wonderful that's got just a a hook to it immediately we know what the song is about it's a praise song it's about god strong words are in there And, and crucially there those are to a speaking rhythm that's a really important thing in songwriting if you can fit the rhythms of your song to speaking rhythms they're much more singable great and wonderful that's how we'd say it great and wonderful So there's some catchy syncopation in there as well. She stuck to the essence of the passage. It moves along harmonically in a really satisfying way. I like that F-sharp major chord, which leads into the B minor in the verse. Uh, It's already a good song. It's a great effort. 
I want to throw in a couple of suggestions for Jenny. I've asked her permission um, of ways I think could just make it even stronger. And mostly it's about how she lands the strong words in the song. So we've got this opening section. Great and wonderful. Immediately you hear that great is on a strong beat. But then the next strong beat is ah. And we don't want ah as a strong word, do we? So how about this? My suggestion, Jenny, is that you take um, great and wonderful and you actually repeat that in your opening line. Because that, for me, that's the strongest bit of the chorus. That's the thing we want to repeat. And then you make the next line be about in everything you do. And then that way you can land. So a bit like this. Great and wonderful, great and wonderful in everything you do. Great and wonderful, great and wonderful, oh Lord, oh powerful God. Something like that. That way we've got great and wonderful, the strong phrases are repeated, and because it changes the harmony underneath it, it feels good repeating it. And then make the lines two and four be the kind of qualifying lines. Great and wonderful in everything you do, and then oh Lord, oh powerful God. That way we land on the everything and we land on Lord and powerful and great and great. And then really, again, the same in the verse. There's a lovely change in harmony in the verse. All the people of the earth will praise your name. Isn't that lovely? We'll praise your name. Really makes you want to sing it. But then I think the next line, you go too syncopated. And this is what I call the congregation test. I've learned this as a songwriter. You write these syncopations and then you sing it with a congregation and time after time after time, they smooth them out. In fact, I've just done that with line one, I think, haven't I? <laughs> and the end, the answer is, uh, a bit like in customer service, the congregation is always right. I mean, they can learn some syncopations, but you can begin to anticipate. And one of the reasons they do it is because they always want to land strongly on strong words. So instead of going, you are holy, only you are holy, they'll want to land on holy. So I would do it like this. All the people of the earth will praise your name. You are holy, only you are holy. All the people of the earth will praise your name. You are holy, awesome God. That final, I think you can push awesome God because it's a really familiar shape. Awesome God, and that's how you might say it. So there you go couple of ideas for how you might just tighten that up strip out a bit of the syncopation apply the virtual congregation test and say what are they going to smooth out it's difficult sometimes as a songwriter because you think oh i really love my syncopation i think it makes it tighter and catchier and punchier but actually when you sing it with them you discover they love it just as much and they insist on just singing straight crotchets and straight quavers so there you go well, you've still got 11 days to take part in the challenge. We'd love to hear from some more of you. And, you know, if you miss the first month, that's OK. Join in from month two. We're not too strict about these things. But we'd love you to take on these challenges. And we'd love you to really take them on as a challenge. So rather than sort of hear it as a vague inspiration, then go and do your own thing. That's fine. But I don't know if you always learn and grow unless you've got some quite tight parameters set for you. So write something. Join our new and growing community of songwriters. Learn from each other. Crucially, come and see how others have used exactly the same passage. I've learned from that this time. I've written from the, the Romans passage. I'm not sure. I think my song's okay, but I don't think I've done a great effort. And then I've listened to what other people have done. I thought, oh, yeah, of course. That's the chorus, isn't it? That melody or that rhythm really works with those words. Why couldn't I see that? So I'm learning as I go. If you want to take part, head to our website, 
Look on our blog and you can get all the details. Well, that's enough intro for this episode. We've got a great interview coming up and we wanted to make plenty of space for it. So we're going to hold off from dissecting classics and exploring technique. We'll bring that back next time. But for now, let's listen to our interview. So Ruth King Goddard, it's lovely to see you. Thanks so much for coming on to be interviewed on our podcast. It's a delight. Thank you. Good. Um, I should probably just fill the listeners in a little bit how we um, how we connected. So I think you'd listened to one of the podcasts, or you'd been be, been on the website or something well, actually, like that. Well, actually, I've I've used the website quite a bit because ah, I'm okay. a worship pastor and used used several pieces of of music for my congregation. I see. And so you dropped us a line saying that you've been doing some work, which is around, um, particularly around congregational singing and would we be interested? And I thought, well, that sounds very interesting to me, certainly as a songwriter. So you then sent me a paper that you've been working on. And I thought we've got to get Ruth on the podcast and we've got to ask you some questions about it. So we're going to do that now. Um, but I thought maybe we'd kick off before we get into the kind of the meat of it all. Perhaps you could just sort of tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you're obviously you're not in the UK. We can tell that from the accent um, where you are, something about your your church, your kind of your okay. role there, that kind of thing. OK, I am um, from the West Coast of the United States. I live in the Seattle area and the church that I'm worship pastor in is in the Seattle area. Yeah, and you've been so you're a songwriter yourself as well, aren't you? You've, That's you've been correct. writing songs yeah. for some years. Yes. Yeah, many. I counted at one point, oh, about seven or eight years ago, and there was about two hundred songs at that point in time. Oh, you know, goodness. but it's the kind of thing that you use for your church, and that's it. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, it's they've they've served their purpose in my life too. They've it's scripture mostly, and and that's how scripture just penetrates my heart and my congregations as well. That's great. I know certainly from my experience of being a worship pastor in the past that uh, songwriting is an important part of that role because it's a way to facilitate that worship, isn't it, in the church? And you also have, you, you run something else outside of the church called Joy of Music Company. So just tell us a bit about that and, and sort of how that came about. Um, it came about after uh, having a desire as a sophomore in high school to um, help as many people as possible have joy of singing and worship to God. So I decided I would, needed to become a music teacher. That was the, uh, right. there's not a lot of options for women, and that was an option open to me. And so I went to train, and I became a wonderful prima donna, snooty, snobby, bratty, right. proud, obnoxious person. Yeah. And then uh, God decided to answer my prayer and um, allowed me to start going deaf. And they said at first that they was probably going to lose all the hearing in both ears. But um, thankfully, uh, I only lost one ear. Um, and that kind of made teaching in a classroom with middle schoolers um, uh, pretty difficult. So, But at the same time, I was getting a call to ministry. And so I started going to seminary. And in seminary, I met guys who were going to be pastors and were scared spitless about the possibility of having to lead singing because they thought they were tone deaf. So this was back in the 1970s, in the mid, mid late 1970s. And um, so back then I decided, well, I'm going deaf. Let's see what tone deafness is all about. And, and I've been teaching tone deaf people to sing ever since then. 
Wow, that's amazing. And one of the things I had a look at, the, at your um, website, and um, but I had a look, and one of the things you talk about uh, working with people is this idea of growing music inside. And I just wondered if you could expand that a bit. What what that what that means? What we, how how we might experience it? Well, through the through the years, I've been able to study with uh, with the Gordon Music Learning Theory, which um, I has been researching how people gain musical aptitude and it's and it aligned with what I kind of stumbled upon through my work that um, music has very little to do singing has little to do with our vocal cords it has to do with our brain it has to do with our whole body and it's and it's we know now research has documented that uh, musical development um, is exactly the same sequence as language development in the same period of time now we can learn languages later in life is more difficult as well as we can gain and grow in our music development later in life as well but it's is more difficult so it's it's and it's musical immersion happens it's it's the singing it's the moving it's the playing it's the recreational thing that happens in the home but it's a brain function first I see. Now I'm going to. Um, I'm just going to ask a, a question for my own personal interest, but I'm sure the listeners would be interested as well. So I've got a, a seventh month, a seventh, seven month old son, our first son, Huckleberry. I think he's the only. He might be one of the only Huckleberries in the UK. There might be a few more in the wow. US. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> and what what advice would you give me as as a parent then to? Because I would, you know, of course, I want to nurture that. And, and what what would be some helpful advice? Do you think? Absolutely. That's the best question you can ask. It's it's doing what you want to do but maybe are afraid to do is sing with the baby all the time. Move the baby. Let the baby feel that movement of the pulse of the rhythm. Yeah. Sing with words and without words. Lots of humming and on and on because that's how they get the template. Yeah. Um, the tonal template, the rhythmic templates, all those things, just like we do in language. It's the same thing. But they have to be immersed, and it happens at the mother's and father's knees. That's where it takes place, primarily. Yeah. Oh, well, see, we're both musicians. Um, but There you go. But we, but we sing together surprisingly rarely, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> so that's something we need to cultivate, I think. And it's, that's it's, re it's recreational, you know, it's yeah. fun. It's not yeah. performance. It's it's who cares we're, we're delighting in each other yeah thank you well let's um move more on to the the sort of the subject of your um of your paper and and some of your research so obviously from your your background both as a um as a worship pastor but also um uh, how do you describe the other part of your work there's a Mu i'm a music development specialist yeah brilliant so with those two things come come together and you're you've observed i suppose and and picked up anecdotally from other places that um congregational singing or participation in it is in decline and i certainly it's something i've seen um over here in the uk um and i'm aware of that as a worship leader um i see that um, perhaps increasingly, even perhaps myself sometimes in church. Yeah. Um, yes. And I just wonder, can you can you describe a little bit, for the, perhaps more for our UK listeners, a bit of the kind of the I know it's a very broad um, picture, but the kind of the scene in the US and and how you, how you might have observed that um, happening. Well, I don't get an opportunity to get out with other churches being a worship pastor, but in all the times and conferences, as well as just visiting on vacations and things, um, I think starting. In the early 90s, I began to see, uh, maybe even before that, I began to see in churches 
people just sitting there with their mouths shut. Mm. Um, and through the years, of course, that's been increasing. Um, and at the same time, I was having more and more people come to me as students. I do workshops for non-singers as well, mm. just out in the secular community. And I have so many people coming to me um, wanting to sing. Uh, and, and then as I hear those people, I'm, I'm hearing the same thing over and over is, I can't, I'm not good enough. Mm. Um, I, you know, I don't know what to do. I can't find where I'm supposed to be. I don't, you know, that, that kind of thing. Just a, a huge lack of understanding of what singing even is. In congregations, I, I've observed um, uh, that in churches, it's primarily a, 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 a maybe 20% is up toward the front. They're the ones that really actively participate yeah. in sing. And then you have the rest of the congregation, maybe another 20% who refuse to sing. Mm. Uh, a recent article actually in Worship Leader magazine um, talked about this. And then 60% of people just not sure want to, not sure if they can or yeah. will. Or, and and know, if, in some know. respects, those 60% are the people that you can really make a difference to on any given Sunday by the songs you choose and the way that you lead, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's get onto the sort of, onto the the paper and the things that you've talked about. And the, one of the first things that struck me was that um, the kind of key thing that you identified as a sort of a root cause is this demise of what you call the personal participatory singing voice, which I found a really interesting expression. I would I'd love if you could just expand on that a little bit. What do you mean by that? How is that different to other other kinds of singing voices and and so on? Well, I you know the pre prelude to me understanding that was to begin to realize that the word sing had actually become redefined culturally, at least in America. Mm. When you ask someone if you sang, they say, of course not. No, I don't sing. And then when you talk to them, do you sing in the shower? Do you sing in the car? Well, yeah, but that's not singing. Yeah. And so, so coming to the understanding that it's that, it's that intimate piece of personal expression. It's mom humming, humming to the baby. It's humming around the house while, or while we're at work. You know, whatever those, those times that my generation used to do it and what I'm seeing is is people are not even doing that at all now that we're losing that well it's just, is it me singing as me rather exactly. than me singing for something else or to fulfill a function or whatever it might be yeah it's not trained or crafted it's intimate it's vulnerable it's it's the voice I believe that God wants us to bring to him in worship and with each other and our children need to hear yeah do you think that um, those who do have a, a trained voice also have a, a personal singing voice that, that might be different? Yeah, and, and in my vocal training, I actually lost that voice. I had to work hard to find it again because all I knew was this power thing that blasted people away, you know, and I had to learn how to yeah. let, let go of that. <laughs> yeah, try <laughs> and find the... Yeah, find that in, inner voice again. Um, so, so quite often when people discuss reasons why people aren't singing in church and so on, they, they'll often um, talk about new styles or genres of music that are alien to people and so on. And I was interested to see that wasn't, that, that wasn't where you went. Uh, but actually, you talked interestingly about the, the introduction of oral technology or of um, commercial oral media, I think you called it. And... Um, that, I, I find that really interesting, and I could really begin to see what you were 
getting at this idea that our, essentially our experience of music has sort of moved from being participatory to being an audience and it's and and so I guess you could just tell us a bit more about that and, and how that's developed over the decades as well well like I said earlier we gain our musical ear through sound immersion and um, before recording our primary sources were in the home at school in the local community it was Aunt Jane it was grandma it was grandpa it was it was the next-door neighbor it was the kids that we played together with um, um, but now, um, and, and, and through, this, through the last hundred or so years, with recording technology invention in the eight, late 1800s, we've gone from the Victrola in the living room that somebody has to crank up mm. to sound buds in our ear almost constantly. It's our own personal playlist now has, has become the, the thing, and, and we are immersed and we immerse ourselves in our home with our kids we i have had music playing all the time and i found i stopped singing in the home that's interesting we have a lot of music playing um in our home and um we've actually been we've been saving up recently to buy a piano even though i'm a pianist i've never actually owned my own piano i've sort of had keyboards and wow, things yeah, and, we, yeah. And, and since huck coming along we thought we need a piano so he can sit with us and we can play and we can sing together so right we're quite, yeah we're quite determined right. to do that good for you there was also there was an interesting quote um, I picked out, which was um, something that um, that Edison himself said. Yes. I don't yes. know if I can find it. Maybe you can remember it off the top of your head. I did write it I down, but do have it somewhere here. What did I do? Oh, here it is. He said. So this is 1927. Mm-hmm. That he, near the end of his life. Yeah, he said that non-recorded music will sound strange, basically predicting in the future that non-recorded music will sound strange to those brought up on radio music and they will not like the real thing. Yeah. And, and that's, that's exactly ex- what you're saying, isn't it? Exactly. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Way yeah. back in 1920. And that's Edison who basically gave us recorded <laughs> music, yeah. essentially, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, this this article that I wrote the cha- is actually a chapter of a book that was published um, just this December. Oh yeah, the book came out. Um, Do tell us the, uh, tell us the details of that. What's... Um, it's the title, and I'm always forgetting what the title is. I was going to look that up, and I didn't do that. Okay, congregational music making and community in a mediated age. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a congregational music studies series that was originally Ashgate, and now another company has bought Ashgate. But um, but uh, Anna Nicola and Tom Wagner, who have are the ones who started the congregational Christian congregational music conference, okay. and it's had uh, three different uh, biannual conferences. And I presented the paper there back in 2013. Um, we've sort of talked about how, in a sense, that it's to do with our. It's as much to do with what's going on in our culture as it is to do with what's going on in our churches, isn't it? And and I noticed yes. that I noted that you mentioned Simon Cowell as an influential voice, uh, the kind yes. of uh, <laughs> the one who tells people they can't sing. And yeah. um, I, firstly, I feel like I need to apologise on behalf of the UK for sending <laughs> Simon Cowell over, but you are you, you are welcome to keep him. Um, oh, no, thank you, no, thank you. <laughs> but also, I, I mean, I, people remember. When someone told them they can't sing, don't they? I mean, I, I remember back, you know, back when I was, I don't know, 12, 13, my voice was breaking. And yeah. I've, I've had that conversation with people, I've asked them, and they say, I, I can tell you exactly who it was, exactly where, exactly when. Yes, yes. It, it yes. takes a lot it, of work to make that go away, doesn't it? 
it takes a tremendous amount of work. You have a person has to first of all have someone say yes you can and you know they usually need to hear it from other than themselves and then they have to be able to um, turn those lies that were built on that to the truth that they can and they if they you know work and get help and ask God for help absolutely they can and if the whole process is a process that leads us to all of music development takes us to its pinnacle is the ability to improvise, which is what songwriters do as they write music. And, and so, so the, the whole process of musical development is the courage to experiment vocally. And you need to have the courage in order to, yes. to do it or some kind of confidence, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we have this situation then where we've got um, a culture, and I'm sure it's very similar, um, across um, lots of different cultures actually nowadays where this kind of technology is there and the kind of music that we have where um, where this is affecting our churches people aren't singing one of the things I was uh, I've thought about is the way that we there's a big um, there's a contemporary worship music industry it's huge and actually I know in the in the US it's as you know it's, it's up yes. there the same kind of quality as all the other genres of oh, yeah. music so oh, yeah. maybe not quite so much in the UK but but still in a similar way and the voices are processed and they're edited and they're tuned and they're you know they're photoshopped if you like the equivalent of it and in the same way that you know photoshopped models leave everybody feeling bad about their body yep processed voices leave everyone feeling bad about their voice don't they and so i can see that and something that has made me think about is with with resound when we first started we were quite determined to write songs and and make demo recordings which sounded very natural and um you know easily playable by another church and so on and actually what we found of course is that the more time we spend on them and the more they're produced and the more we polish and iron out and tune and the more people download them and the more people like them so there's a real sort of dilemma in in that particularly when it comes to sharing music and so on yeah yeah and it's you know and it's it's not it's a reality we have to live with that reality i i tell people i have people come up to me all the time because they know how in my church they know how i feel about singing you know as as the personal singing voice so they Mm. say okay i want to perform now for the congregation and I have to very carefully and gently and kindly say, well, there's a difference. Our culture standard for someone who does something up front as a performance is a hundred miles beyond what we can just naturally do in our home with our loved ones or with each other together singing in worship in the church. Yeah. It's, we, have, we have a dual um, tension that, that really causes... It, we have... What we have to do, I believe, is we have to create a countercultural movement. Yeah. So that so that we have that excellence in music for when it needs to be performance, yeah. which it there is need for that. But at the same time, we need to be making music at home and with each other wherever we are together for fun, for enjoyment, in prayer, whatever that spontaneous song needs to continue happening we need to be able to um, allow our voices not to be perfect mm. when we are even leading I think which that to me that's the biggest tension okay we know that imperfection turns people off yeah especially those that are 
just so immersed in the not singing the performance dichotomy mm. um, but God desires and loves us just as we are and perfection only has a place in performance and somehow we need to communicate that as we lead worship as we as we write worship songs even you know yeah um, to to help people understand that God loves us just as we are yeah brilliant and he wants worship just as we are mm. not crafted not honed not ornamented not he wants authentic bare naked us yeah brilliant thank you uh, so what can we do then as songwriters um how uh, like you said we sort of need to in some ways we need to accept the reality but um we all and we want to work with that reality we you know we exist in a certain kind of culture or, or subcultures of that culture and but we talked about that 60 percent who we could actually really make a quite an immediate difference to the other the you know the distant 20 percent they're along that's a long project isn't it but yeah, the it but in, as songwriters what we could what what kind of have you got any thoughts advice about how we could frame shape our songs to, to tr really try and enable people to join in singing yes yeah um there's actually five different things. Um, first, songs need to be basically within a normal speaking voice range, and because of all the variations of people's vocal tessituras or you know mm. high verse low type voices, um, uh, it's pr I, I pretty much from a C up to a B flat. It's not even an octave. It's like a sixth at the very very most. Yeah. Um, and, and then we need to make sure that our phrases that as we're doing with songs are short. Yeah. You know, the, the, the phrase has been for, for a long time, you know, eight measures, you know, an eight measure phrase. But I, I don't know if you're noticing the phrases are becoming shorter. A lot of this stuff is already happening. It's yeah. kind of amazing. Um, but shorter, shorter phrases, you know, two to four measures. Um, um, and then repetition strict repetition without changing the note around like we would do when we would improvise yeah. we need to we need to look at the person who hears something and say okay i think i can do that maybe and then somebody changes one note and it just blows it out of the water it's yeah. gone because they they lose it again mm. and uh predictability um my composition teachers you know would say you know that the good music composition is you're always coming up with a surprise and something different. Well, that needs to be there, but too many of those surprises can destroy connection with with what's going on. So there needs to be a, a, a pretty strong level of predictability within creativity, and it pushes us much further into creativity as songwriters. Yeah. Um, and then um, simple melodic movement, very simple melodic movement within those short phrases you know more and more um, songs we hear repetition of the same note almost into a rap kind of a feel Mo moving toward that stepwise um, and with with any skips they need to be limited primarily to a, a, the tonal context um, and then they need to be repeated as if you know there are some songs that have some great hooks that use a leap in them mm. But a limited leap, you know, and you can experiment with people, you know, you use a focus group kind of thing with stuff and see how people can handle it. But, but um, uh, 
those those are the basic five things I'd say limited range short phrases repetition strict repetition predictability and simple melodic movement as well as uh, rhythmic movement uh, however I've seen culturally at least in America we're becoming much more strong rhythmically as we're losing our, our tonal melodic right yes aptitude yeah yeah that's really helpful so that's a that's a that's a great little list i don't know if you've um if you know but we've just launched a 12 song challenge that we're I doing i saw that i yeah. saw that and so this is great we've now got well at the point of recording this we've got over 50 people signed up from around the world who are going to take part and we're setting a challenge each um month throughout 2016 and the idea is to, to kind of pursue that particular um a particular pro approach or method in uh -huh. songwriting and to be quite strict about it and one yes. of the things that we we've said so th this first one is scripture songs we've set five possible pieces of scripture and the rules are you've got to you've got to try and stick really closely to the bit of scripture and and not be tempted to bring in your own thoughts or another passage or the chorus of another you. song or so on and, and one of the things that that i think chimes with, with something you said then is that um you actually, when you set these kind of limits, you actually have to be more creative, don't you? It really yes. brings out yes. creativity. And it does. And a blank Definitely. page can often really stifle creativity. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes the most satisfying creative yeah. times are when you say, actually, my congregation is setting limits by their yeah. vocal range and their ability to sing this and that and, and so on. And if I actually, if I build that frame and then I insist on creating my song within that box, I can both be creative but produce something that's really going to bless people and help them. Exactly, exactly. And do you think that we have, did you, you know, do you think we have to kind of give in to the culture or can we do more than just work with what we've got? Can we actually, can we claim some of it back? I think we can claim. That's why I say create create a countercultural movement, you know. Um, the, uh, I met a gentleman who's um, world director of the Mennonite Church of Missions, and mm. he was talking about how in the Mennonite Church, uh, people were coming to Jesus because they were hearing the incredible music, the, the a cappella four-part music, and yeah. they just were overwhelmed, and, and it just brought them and drew them deeply in to, to God's presence, and they found the Lord. Um, but at the same time, those same people weren't able to sing those four-part harmonies. Yeah. So that's the tension. So the realities, if, if we are singing authentically, wholeheartedly um, as congregations, that is a powerful statement. It is a reality that people long to be a part of. I, I think yeah. it's something embedded deep within every human being to be able to be a part of something like that. It, yeah. It's a, a God-made desire. And for his kingdom for his worship yeah it's a wonderful vision and it's a one i think it's a wonderful vision for us to have as songwriters to to hold that in our minds as we write songs we, we you know we live these days in a fast moving um age don't we where we recycle things quickly and discard things quickly and actually to have a sense of we're not just writing a song for this moment but we might be writing a song which collected with all the others is going to make a difference 50 years 100 years down the line and That's i think right. it'd be a great thing to hold on to ruth yeah. it's been wonderful to speak to you i've got one final question um okay. which um which is what we the, the final question we ask all of our interviewees and i'm going to put you on the spot okay <laughs> we ask them what one song one worship song by someone else 
do you wish you'd written? Do you hear and think, oh, I <laughs> oh, wish God. I'd written that one. I'd be, I'd love to have written that. So it's not necessarily even your favourite or anything, but you just think, oh, I'd be really pleased to have written that song. You know, I have to... I, I'm sorry, but I, I... There's a song I sent uh, that I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> that I... That I um, it's the Ephesians 1, 3 through 7, um, that has just been such a powerful, it was just a God, the whole thing. And, and um, my congregation absolutely loves it. And to be able to have a song of that, the beginning of that incredible book of scripture um, that sets it all out, makes it so plain who God is, what God's desire is, the gospel. Yeah. And then and then the chorus goes, so we praise God for his glorious grace, his glorious grace. And I, that's the song I think of that I wish I would have written because I don't know how I ever, ever wrote it. And I know that oh, it was the work of God. That's a wonderful answer. That's a great, we'll let you have that as the answer. Thank you. That's thank a, you. <laughs> that's a great, and that's a wonderful, yeah, it must be a wonderful experience. Drew, thank you so much for um, coming on the podcast. It's been wonderful to speak to you. We've been encouraged and challenged. Um, by what you have to say um, um, we'll make a note um, just to put on our Facebook page and our web page as well so that we can link people to the um, to the book as well so they've got Great. an opportunity to follow that up and I will tell you that the book is very expensive okay and so I, if people are interested in the article you can send them to me okay. and I can I, I own the copyright on the articles so Perfect. I can still give them like I could do to that's great we'll do it yes I know actually academic books are very expensive aren't yeah. they because <laughs> they don't get a very high circulation yeah yeah <laughs> no so. that's right that's brilliant well thank you you're welcome a big thank you to Ruth for coming on the show I know that for all of us who lead worship who write songs for worship there is always that niggling question isn't there why isn't everyone singing and we come up with various ideas maybe they're not passionate enough maybe the style is wrong etc I think Ruth has given us some fascinating insight there and within what she says there are definitely some challenges to us are we simply feeding into the prevailing culture with our songs or are we daring enough to go against the flow and and even to put full congregation participation at the top of our list of priorities for worship songs and I've been chatting with Sam um, since this interview we've come up with a February challenge that is born out of some of what Ruth had to say and I think you'll find it both challenging but inspiring at the same time and we're looking forward to sharing that with you in the next episode which will be the very end of this month Thank you to those of you who've been in touch with questions and comments. We're going to pick up on those in the next episode when I've got Sam back with me and we can discuss them together. And then finally, we're going to leave you with a featured song for the week. So we put Ruth on the spot in the interview and afterwards she actually told me that one song she'd love to have written was actually a resound song, which is very kind of her, something we always love to hear. So we thought, well, let's just make that the featured song for the end of our episode so we're going to finish by playing for you Lord You Have Searched Me which is based on Psalm 139 it's a scripture song so until next time do get in touch on email podcast.resoundworship.org facebook.com slash resoundworship.org or twitter resoundworship we'll see you next time Lord you have searched me and know me you know when I sit My words are clearly different.
I go.